storygoers, and welcome back to another episode of Tales from the Cartridge, the video game storytelling podcast. My name is Eric Penrod. I am one of your co-hosts. And I am Ryan Bauer, and I am your other co-host. Ryan, we survived yet yeah. another week. <laughs> Will it ever end? Well, I, mean, I don't want it to end, don't get me wrong. <laughs> just, just drained of it all. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people can probably like uh, agree with us that this is a yeah. crazy time of the year. Um, but... But luckily, we survived it again, and I, I would love asking you this question. How are you, and what have you been playing? I am doing pretty good. Uh, like you said, last week was wild, but we are here. We've survived. It's getting warmer. My windows are open. Yeah. It is mud season here in Maine, so everything's just really muddy. <laughs> but that's okay. That's that's part mm-hmm. of the charm. As far as what I've been playing, I've been playing a little bit of Valheim with our friend Dave. Um, just mm-hmm. a little bit this past week, just because time. And then me and my my girlfriend, my partner, have been playing a ton of Stardew. Anytime we have some downtime, we're jumping on the Switch and playing Stardew together, which is really, really fun. Building a, a big, beautiful farm and selling all the things. And I think that's all I've been playing. It's been, that's been it. I've been curious about Animal Crossing, but I haven't jumped back in yet. Um, I'm, I, I want to, but I just haven't, haven't had that drive yet. But that, that's it for me. How are you? What have you been playing? My week's been crazy also, juggling things at my job. I transitioned to a new position, so it's been kind of like crazy, but it's it's a good change. It's a positive change, so it's been good. I also finally was able, I talk about the Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask so much on this podcast sometimes, so I, I, I have finally committed. I got new tattoos mm. of the masks in the game. I haven't shown you yet, Ryan, so I'll show you in our podcast, in our Zoom call. It's hard to show on my arm. <laughs> Those um, are so incredible. They're cool. I'll post a picture once they heal. They're a little yeah. like, and, and swollen and, and not feeling great. It burns, but mm-hmm. in a good way. You know, it's normal. But yeah, yeah uh, but they're cool. I'm super happy with the way they turned out. Uh, the person who did them, his name is Ollie, uh, uh North Coast Tattoo in Scarborough, Maine, did them. He did a really good job. And uh, so if anyone's in Maine and needs a good tattoo artist, he's great. So yeah. I don't know if he knew that I was going to tell you that a lot. Of it's okay. <laughs> I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's fine. But I never know. <laughs> Super cool guy. He's awesome. I'll post a picture of it. And I also plan on sending it to, uh, there's a video game tattoo Instagram. I'm hoping that they'll post it. That'd be kind of cool. Just mm-hmm. to give him some credit. Yeah. Credits do, so. Um, as for games, like you, it's been so busy. I have had like no time to play games. The only game I've played since we last recorded uh, is a game called Fury uh, that, from 2016. I was re-downloading a bunch of games on my PS5 to, to start playing again, and I saw that one. I was like, and I thought, you know, this one's a really short game. It's really, it's like 10 boss battles in the whole thing. That's it. And the story's very won- like crazy, myster- mysterious. The characters are wild and unique. And I thought, yeah, this is going to be awesome. And there are sometimes I just wanted to like not throw my controller, but man, like I was getting so frustrated because <laughs> it's just so hard sometimes. But awesome game. I'm at the final boss right now, and I and I am very excited to cover that game on this podcast. Uh, so yes, and that's about it. And actually, like you, Ryan, I have been wanting to go back to Animal Crossing, but at the same time, I'm like hesitant for some reason. I just I yeah. feel like it's a rabbit hole. I'm not ready to jump into. <laughs> uh, <Yeah>. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's about it. I think I'm hoping that. Uh, I want to get into Ratchet and Clank. I, I know it's going to be a longer time, uh, but I'm, I, I think I'm ready for that. I just need a shorter shorter game to kind of like warm me up, you know what mm-hmm, I mean? Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. I can kind of get some time <laughs> for a longer one. So that's that's yeah. kind of my process. It's weird. But uh, we hope you enjoyed our last few episodes of Pokemon Snap, The Bedtime Story, and mm-hmm. Shadow of the Colossus. Um, I, I hope, I wanted to say this on the podcast now, I hope you can forgive me for some of the editorializing I did in Pokemon Snap. I had to kind of uh, make some things up that didn't happen in the story per se, uh, just so I didn't have to re 
tell the same things over and over again. Like there's in the game, like you don't get apples till after you like get a certain number of pictures, but it just wasn't gonna like f- the story wasn't gonna flow. So it, so like miraculously he found an apple by his foot. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he had to use like it's just things like that. Hopefully you can forgive me and just enjoy the story for what it is. Uh, a really good time. I was really proud of that one. I thought it was, turned out really good. And then Shadow of the Colossus, we we did a great job on that one too. Yeah. That was um, fun. Yeah, it's a great gun. So, yeah, but hopefully you've enjoyed that. We are eight, as of right now, eight, or no, nine downloads away from a thousand downloads, yeah. which is like crazy for us. That's like, that is, I thought it would take us like a, a whole year for us to get to that point, and it's definitely not been that long. So, it's it's crazy. Thank you to everyone that's listened and to giving us support. And as always, we would be happy to read your thoughts, feelings, and perspectives by sending in to us at our gmail account it is tales from the cartridge at gmail.com all of the e's are threes we have twitter and instagram don't be afraid to dm us or comment on our posts we'd be happy to read those on the show and we still have our sticker initiative going where yeah. if you send us a a, a comment and uh about your thoughts feelings, and or perspectives we would be happy to send you one of our stickers but today's episode ryan was was brought by you would you like to announce to the storygoers what that game is Ori and the Blind Forest. Uh, me and uh, my partner were trying to figure out what game we wanted to cover next. She helps me do the script, so I like to involve her in that process. And it was Grim Fandango or Ori, and we started on Grim Fandango and realized it, it's Grim Fandango is a really incredible game. It's made by the same folks who made Monkey Island. So it's just like very silly and very dense. So we're like, let's shelf this. We will come back to this. And we dived into Ori, which is a much more managed still, a, a, a good, good kind of there's a really good story in there but it's, it's much shorter more manageable ori in the blind forest a really incredible game that came out march 11th 2015 um it was developed by moon studios and it was published by microsoft there was actually when i was doing some research there was some rumors that or they were in discussion if they were going to show at e3 the year this game came out e3 2014 they're going to show ori in the, as the first game of the showcase or if they were just going to call of duty they ended up showing call of duty but it's really cool <sighs> that that was like part of the discussion yeah, um, that this this game was so beloved, and, and apparently at that E three, like people were lining up to play it over and over and over again because it was so successful. And it was um, written by Thomas Mailer, and he used to work for um, Blizzard. He worked on uh, StarCraft two, and now has worked on Ori and the Blind Forest and Ori and the Will of the Wisps, and their next title, which I'm really excited about because they're just they're really good games. Mm-hmm. They're they're really beautiful. The art, the music, the the stories themselves were really beautiful. But Eric, did you want to dive into some of the influences for the game? Yeah, definitely. So uh, the designers of this game said that they were guided by the works of like Lion King, The Lion King, and The Iron Giant, which are fantastic uh, things to kind of be guided from. Uh, and that it's a, a coming of an age story for this game. Uh, the designers were heavily influenced by the work of Hayao Miyazaki, and also the games such as uh, Super Meat Boy, Limbo, which we covered as a bedtime story, mm-hmm, and get. Metroid. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, what a diverse group of games. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. Very interesting. And a lot of this is gameplay, a lot of the, the gameplay mechanics. It is a Metroidvania game where you get powers and go back to places. It is, has some really incredible platforming, like in Super Meat Boy, and you get cool powers that let you... Like when you move through a space in the early game, it feels very different when you move through a space in the older game because you're just like zooming through. Um, and then there's some puzzle mechanics, like in, in Limbo. There's a lot of manipulating the world around you, but yeah, you can mm-hmm. certainly see those. But yeah, really cool stuff. Before we jump into that, Ryan, how about you start us with your memories of this game? What are some of the things that come to your mind when it comes to Ori? And the, the Blind Forest. 
Yeah, so this is a game that I, I, I think I, I started recently. It was actually during the quarantine of in like April, May of last year when Game Pass, I finally you know bit the bullet and got Game Pass and it was on Game Pass and it's a game that I've heard great things about and I just needed something to burn up some time because I had nothing else I was doing when I wasn't playing Animal Crossing. Right. <laughs> um, so so I, I downloaded Ori and the Wild Forest off Game Pass and I sat in kind of in two or three sittings, um, just powered through. It's only about like a 10 hour experience. Just sat down and powered through and it's it's really beautiful. The vis- Like I said, the visuals and the audio are breathtaking. It's one of like a handful of games that like both at the beginning at the end of the game like really like made me tear up like have these really emotional this is really beautiful game and then when willowis came out i jumped right in and did that too but yeah there it's a really great game but i was i was i was really late um but what about you eric what are your memories of ori and the blind forest i have no memories that i've never gone to this game which i feel is almost just blasphemous to say out loud <laughs> I, I know how beloved this game is i like i have seen so many people talk about it online. I know you have highly recommended it. I think some of our friends have highly recommended the game. So I, I feel so behind on this. I know when um, the sequel of the game, Will, was it Will of the Wisp? Is that correct? Will of the Wisp. Or yep. Will of the Wisp. I know that was huge. I know people were very excited for that as well. Uh, so yeah, this game is beloved and I am an awful, awful gamer and I've never played it. And I know I need to. Uh, I think it's a game that's going to be really fun to play with a partner. I think my partner and I were, would, would benefit from playing this game together. It, I think the, the platforming will kind of uh, make her very excited to play it. And then I am super, as always, as you guys know, a story goes, uh, story always grabs me and, and what we, you know, kind of experience in the story. So I think it's like a big game that's going to be good for uh, for us. So it's a something I'm looking forward to. And even though I know we're going to go through the story and learn from it, I think almost you know, two different experiences. So I'm, I'm excited to get this, this take of the game and then kind of go into this and play it and, and, and take a lot from that. And, and the visuals, I think, will... will give me something different than I would expect, you know, just listening to it. So I'm excited for both. Don't leave. Where are you going? Story guard. No, no, please. <laughs> <Come back>. no, <laughs> say. <laughs> don't, don't go play. You play it, but just, just, just listen. <laughs> like you said, this experience is going to be very different from playing in the, in the game. The visuals and the music do so much heavy lifting in a way that is kind of really moving. I, I my, my closest comparison would be to like a Pixar, like the opening of up where there's just like no dialogue. It's just oh, like geez. visuals and music that is just so beautiful and sweeping and emotional that it just like takes you away in this really incredible way and i think one of the things you'll notice in this game is we're really only going to have a couple voices but those are the only voices in the game there's really only maybe four characters in the entirety of this experience there's a couple like kind of creatures in the world who you can engage with for gameplay stuff but really there's only four characters and it just follows the journey of those four characters in this really incredible way and all of these four characters feel feel especially the the three who we'll talk about, feel really fully formed in, in their roles in the game, but I don't want to get too much into it. But it's just really incredible, and I'm excited. Ryan, are you telling me I'm about to, to cry on a podcast for the first time? I don't to... know. I, I So while <laughs> writing this, uh, writing the intro, a little bit sad, a little bit, a little bit, again, I was watching oh, no. the visuals while I was writing it. And then at the end, like at the at the emotional kind of climax of the story, like sniffles and, and, and fighting back tears. Again, I don't know how all that will translate um, in the, <laughs> I don't know how that will translate in, in the, in the script that I've written, um, or that we, I, wrote, I wrote with with help from my partner, but we'll see, we'll see, we'll see if we can get some tears. <laughs> I am terrified. This is about to be a Bambi opening. I have no idea this game opens. I'm just terrified at what's about yeah. to happen. Yeah, I, yeah, it's yeah. never an easy transition when uh, a young character in a story loses their parents, and you're like, 
All right. Well, <laughs> here we go. I'm invested, yeah. and this is a weird feeling, but mm-hmm. yeah, here we go. Yeah. As a, as a therapist, I I need to embrace emotions and yeah, not it's okay. hide them. It's okay so to feel sad. So if you sad. hear me sniffle, snoregoers, just know that it's okay to cry. I'm not the only one. You should cry too. <laughs> They're tears of joy. I swear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then I guess without further ado, Ryan, I think we should start the story. Let's do it. A large tree towers over a forest. The clouds roll past a distant mountain. In the center of that tree is a light. The wind picks up, and this tranquil scene quickly changes. The sky grows dark as leaves fly through the air. A storm fills the sky, a crash of lightning, and then the boom of thunder as the tempest rages. The light of the tree flickers and grows. A deep voice begins to rumble and speak in an ancient unknown language. We shall always remember the light when I lost all the great storm. The storm shakes the massive tree as bright blue leaves sway in the wind. One rips free, flutters away violently in the wind. The glowing leaf is thrown through the air by the squall. It dances as the storm rages behind, as it moves further and further from the great tree. This large humanoid figure stares sorrowfully at the ground. As the leaf flies past, the creature stands and follows. The wind hollows around her and makes her way deeper into the forest storm falling in a deluge as she finally reaches the glowing leaf. The creature approaches as the leaf transforms into a small, still creature. The booming voice continues. When Nehru embraced my light, Nehru lifts the growing creature into the air and brings it closer in an embrace. As a child of her own. Ori, the small creature who appeared in that storm that night, sits atop a small nest perched atop stone. On the stone are drawings of Ori and Naru together. Ori sleeps soundly in this safe place, the sun beams from overhead as Nuri slumbers surrounded by supple fruit. Ori blinks awake. Their sparkling body descends down from its perch and lands slowly on the ground. Ori's tail twirls as they move through the decorated cavern. Their large ears search for a familiar sound as Ori heads out towards the opening. Ori exits the cave and finds themselves in a lush forest. The bright green trees sway gently in the breeze. Some of them are marked with an X. Ori dashes through the dancing grass and effortlessly leaps in the air and is greeted by a waving Naru. Her warm voice and soft fur greet Ori. She extends her hand and Ori leaps up on her back. Naru turns to shake a nearby tree as a single foot falls and is tossed to Ori, who happily devours it. Nora marks this tree with her claw and adds a large X to signify its lack of fruit. This tree is surrounded by so many empty trees, but it doesn't seem to sour the pair's tranquil mood. As Nero lumbers through the trees, Nero points out a nearby tree, lush with fruit across the swampland. The pair spend the next days working together to build and craft a bridge to reach their goal. Ori and Naru are inseparable. They share gentle embraces, playful tosses, and when they arrive at the tree, some delicious, well-earned fruit. They feast and enjoy the delicious fruit. The booming voice continues. On that fateful night, when I lit the skies ablaze, I called out to Ori. Ori watches the light-filled sky, transfixed at the iridescent dance of light. They were quickly swept up by Naro and took them into their home to share more delicious fruit. She holds Ori close. She held her close when the last of the fruit stopped falling. She held Ori close when their lush green forest turned gray, when all the plants and trees slowly began to die. She holds Ori close as she starts to lose her strength and shares the last of the fruit with Ori. Yet hope never came. Naru stands and leaves a sleeping Ori behind in the cave. She searches the surrounding forest for any remaining fruit. Through the passage of time, Life withered and decayed when the forest is blind. 
Naru finds the final fruit and gives it to Ori. She denies Ori's offer to share, and Ori leaves on their own in search of fruit. She climbs atop a nearby tree to find a handful of fruit and brings it back to the cave. Still, hope showed its face. As Ori returns to the cave, they're reminded of the times with Naru, the fruit they shared, the bridge they built, shared experiences, the unconditional love. Ori carries the fruit, eager to share the same with Naru. Or extends her hand towards Naru, who lays motionless against the cave wall, their shared home, cave wall of their shared home. Or he tries to wake Naru as her body slumps to the ground. Or he lies on top of Naru's still body. An orphan once more, with no reason to stay. Or he wanders the lifeless forest that now surrounds their home, lost and alone. Or he searches, but they aren't sure what they're searching for. Searching for my light, so weak and frail, when cries were met with silence, and hope went astray. Or he pulls themselves to the brambles of the forest, weak and stumbling. Eric, we're going to stop there. Um, oh. Just to kind of, yeah, what a called shot on the Bambi. Um, <laughs> just to kind of talk about this this kind of intro and, and what this is kind of setting up. What, what, how is how is this emotional impact feel um, so far? What are your, what are your thoughts uh, on that? I, I mean, story goes, you, you couldn't see it, but I was like making many faces. I'm, I'm so sorry, Ryan. You're trying to read in <laughs> no, these you're series fine. and I you're was okay. not helping because like, I just, I just, I knew, I knew it. <laughs> I knew yeah. it was coming. I just, there, it, it's, it's so sweet because like, it, uh, what, what better way to show unconditional love than through, through the sharing of food? I think food has had such a significant role. And it reminds me, like, in a weird way of like, grandparents from the Great Depression. I think it's something that I always hear about. Like, it's something that I always. It's so sorry. I'm taking us on a weird roller coaster ride here, but just hear me out. Like, my grandmother was someone who always made sure everybody in the food, in the family was fed. And when I asked her about that, as I had grown up and I was very curious what the, why she had that mentality, I remember her telling me, like, through the Great Depression, she her family struggled and they had to like, hunt often. Um, her, my great-grandfather had to hunt uh, deer and he hated it. I remember he, my grandmother said he, he cried every time he had to kill no. an animal for food. And it was just very emotional and it was a, a lasting impact on her. So she always made sure people were fed. And often in shows like Hoarders, which is like very interesting from a therapeutic standpoint, how these people with significant trauma adapt to their situation in unhealthy ways. Oftentimes, they're they're hoarding. Uh, I've heard people say because like they've gone through times like the Great Depression where they had nothing, so then when they have something, they, they keep it because it has multi purposes and things like that. But that's not the point. The point I'm trying to make here is like that's what we're kind of seeing in this whole uh, Nehru and Ori relationship here is that someone who is unconditionally loving uh, and sharing food because that is so, so important for them to help someone they love, you know, to make sure that they're fed, to make sure that they're going to be okay, regardless of the impact that it has on themselves. So for Naru, um, you know, just passing away because they had no food, making sure Ori was safe, immediately is going to tug on your heart. I, I hope at least, like, because it did mine. Like, I, it just immediately shows you the significance of food, you know, and having a lack of that and, and giving the only food you have to someone that you love I think as people, we recognize the, the significance of that. Does that make sense, Ryan? Do you feel, do you understand where I'm coming from with that? Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think one of the things in this story is these characters don't necessarily speak. A lot of their communication is through language or through this act of kindness, so these, these acts that they're doing. They're sharing this thing that kind of giving each other life through this food. Um, and that kind of, that's kind of what that symbolizes, right? They're giving each other life um, by sharing that food. And, and, and Naru is effectively saying, your life to me is more important than mine. I'm willing to give up my life for yours. And, and that kind of plays out. And it's this really beautiful scene 
Um, and Naru is this kind of this character who they set up as this really motherly figure for Ori. Um, and just for reference, I'm, I use they, them um, for Ori, for the pronouns, and then for Naru, she, her. Um, yeah, Naru, this really motherly figure to Ori, um, taking care of Ori. And we don't, we don't know why this bond forms so quickly, but it does. And they care and take care of each other. And we see all these really beautiful experiences that they have. Um, yeah, I think I think it's really well done. But yeah, that's a really good way to connect it to a real life um, situation. Yeah, yeah, and actually, so in this this conversation has made me think of two things. One, I'm surprised that Tarzan wasn't a big influence in this game because that's I, I feel like mm. has a, a big significance to that. How Tarzan loses yeah uh, his parents and then is raised by uh, orangutans, I believe, or monkeys, or gorillas, gorillas, gorillas. And, yeah, yeah, gorillas. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't know my animals very well. That's okay. But yeah, raised by gorillas, um, and the significance of that. Uh, and then also, uh, just like you said, Ryan, there's like very little dialogue in this whole game, and like, and we don't ever see Naru and Ori speak to one another, right? Oh, yeah, no, so, no, never. Um, so, and I and I don't know the exact numbers, so I'm not going to throw one out there, but I know that uh, I've learned in, when I was learning uh, therapy in like my grad school and at my job um, that nonverbal language is like the most someone will gain out of a conversation with another person. It's something, I'm going to throw out a number. I don't know if this is right. I know it's crazy. It's like 95% or something crazy like that as nonverbal cues that you get and you can learn from from someone when you're interacting them. And it, whereas verbal cues and, and, and identification is like 5%. You know, so it's like how you're saying something and the way you look when you're saying it is, is how a person will respond typically to, you know, to what you're saying or what you're seeing. So it makes a lot of sense how this, this nonverbal, these nonverbal things that are happening in front of us in this game speak so so much we get so much context out of it which is amazing it's amazing that that we can do that it's incredible yeah yeah but i i, I like it i'm i'm very sad <laughs> for Ori, obviously yeah um very curious where it goes though very curious yeah. it does a really good job of getting you emotionally invested right away um we don't know anything about this tree we don't we, but we are just invested in this relationship between ori and naru and then now well what happens to ori now i think is is kind of what is driving you again we're we're left to these questions so we'll we'll dive in and see what happens next ori pulls themselves forward across the fallen log with little strength before falling still when my child's strength faltered and the last breath was drawn ori lay still on a fallen log their body motionless as small white flowers bloom soon the forest fills with these glowing flowers they light a beacon in the dead forest that surrounds Ori. The flowers stretch farther and farther until they climb up the now dead and shriveled large tree. A flicker of light, the massive flickers of light twinkle on the massive tree. My light revived Ori. A new age had dawned. Ori's body rises, surrounded by these flowers. Strength returned, and they land softly on the log below. The once dying forest was now illuminated with white light. Ori heads deeper into the forest, where they find a small grove with a small flickering light. Deep in the first, Ori found what was lost. Ori lifts the small light into the air, and it floats and glows brighter and brighter, before blinding light explodes forth. The small light, a now glowing ball of energy, floats above Ori, introduce themselves. My strength is returning. I am Sen, the light and the eyes of the spirit tree. I was lost in this glen when she loosened her grip. I can guide you on your journey if you allow me to come, but be still. Can you hear that? They must have followed you here. The glen erupts with snarls and growls of monsters leaping. Their purple bodies fly towards Ori, and they and Sen use their light to attack and fight the creatures back. Their light shall return to me, these words the spirit tree once said. In the glade past the caverns we shall find him. 
There's a path up ahead. Sen leads Ori through the forest and towards the glade. Sen teaches Ori of spirit wells and how to make their way through spirit gates. Sen leads Ori through the nearby cavern where they see phantoms of creatures who came before. There were those that turned to hope when she ravaged and killed. Ori approaches a tall and tangled mass of branches that reach toward the sky. A small glimmer of light rests atop. The light of the spirit tree lives in us all. He is the reason we are alive. He is the reason we grew. When he called out to you, many years passed. We were attacked, wounded and killed by our foe. Now these ancestral trees are all that is left behind. Come closer now and feel the light of feel, the spirit inside. Ori approaches the tree as it comes to life. A small glimmer erupts into a massive light, and the beams struck out to embrace Ori with their power. When finished, Ori slams to the ground. Empowered by the spirits, they can now traverse and travel to new places. Somber they found me, dormant and still. We told Ori the tale of her misguided will. Ori approaches the trunk of the now dormant large tree. Globes of light fill the overgrown roots. A stone pedestal sits at the bottom. A beam of white light shoots toward the sky. Ori stands atop the pedestal. Ori, the spirit tree. He must have used the last of his strength to save you. Come now and hear our story. It was the night of the light ceremony. It was our light that she hated. Sen told Ori the story of the world tree. I called out to Ori, but my child never came. The world tree, now aglow with light, is surrounded by fields of creatures. Creatures made of pure light. As the sky is filled with luminescence, the core of the world tree shines. A winged mass of claws dives towards the world tree and the creatures below. The creatures below shriek in horror as the beast talons slam into the earth. Its beaked visage, filled with hatred, lunges and strikes at the glowing creatures before taking off into the air to strike at the source of light, the world tree. The creature lips, the creature rips the light from the world tree, flies off and crushes it before dropping it into a chasm. Kuro stole Sen. It was the end of our days. Ori, standing on the pedestal, listens to Sen's story. You received the spirit tree's light. You put our fate in your hands. Listen carefully now, for you must understand. The tree spirit sustained by three elements of light, and in turn, they brought balance and kept Nibble safe. Sen explains to Ori that in order to restore Nibble to its former self, we must rekindle the three elements of light. In order to do so, they would need to travel across Nibble. They would need to go to the element of water, high atop the Jinso tree, the element of wind, deep within the forlorn ruins, and the element of warmth beneath the fires of Mount Horu. We must rekindle their light before it's too late. The first we will find in spider coves atop a tree where the waters once flowed. Sen suggests first going to the Jinso tree. While journeying through the depths of the hollow grove, Ori finds another spirit, Ano, and is once again empowered and gains ability to help them move forward. With their newfound power, Ori moves into the Munrado, the location of the Jinso tree, the first element that needs to be restored. Eric, I kind of want to stop here to reflect on both that flashback to get some information and then kind of talk about this this story organization because this is very, like, very Legend of Zelda, right? Very Hero's Journey mm-hmm. where you have these three tasks to complete and by completing those tasks, you'll restore balance to to the world. What are your what are your kind of thoughts on the use of that story? Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's always a, a, a good story element for video games. Like, I, this made me instantly think of Legend of Zelda, um, like Ocarina of Time, collecting the sacred stones as a child for Link specifically, because I think of I think of Ori as a, as a child, and I don't know if that Ori typically I, I guess is Ori considered a child. Is that yeah, right at this point. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
So that's why it made me think of, and then also, again, Lincoln, Majora's Mask, stopping, you know, like going to the four giants, saving them, whatever. Very Legend of Zelda, you're right. And and um, I see a lot of the influences, like in, in, in Metroid, how like, you know, there's always like on the map, you have to go to different places, you have to go there and, and stop certain things and gain certain powers. So yeah, that Metroidvania thing is kind of, I find it in the story as well, which mm-hmm. I think is really cool. Like it doesn't have to be this like, you know, only gameplay wise thing, element, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but so far, like I'm invested. It's cool. I think it's it's very. I love the use of nature in this to describe like the need, the things that they need. Like you know, I was very surprised um, going back through the script really fast that uh, that the element of water was high up top of this tree, whereas the element of wind was deep within these ruins. I would have thought they would have flip flopped. Yeah, that the wind would be up top of this tree and the water would be deep down within the, these ruins. So I found that interesting. I'm wondering if there's more to that. Like as we, I wonder why that choice is made and if there's a reason for it. So I'm kind of curious if we, if we talk about that. Yeah. So. And then I also so want to ask, what are your what are your ideas of this Kuro creature? We only hear a little bit, but what is your what is your what is your visual of that? Yeah, I I, I have no idea. I know that I as the the booming voice, the, the Kuro stole stole Sen, but Sen's here. So I, I'm a little nervous that Sen is. <laughs> someone we shouldn't be trusting right now mm-hmm. um since the booming voice is like you know kuro stole sen but sen somehow mm-hmm. is here which makes you feel a little off i think it's a it's a uh a tidbit of information that could easily be overlooked when playing a game like this until you realize like oh my god i was told this earlier <laughs> on in the story so mm-hmm. that's something that i'm kind of picking up in this so i'm very curious uh if this leads anywhere i really hope i mean, I mean poor ori's been through enough please yeah. sen, don't don't be a jerk like come on like <laughs> Like we, yeah. you need to be nice. Like this person just lost their mom, like or this motherly figure, yeah. um, parental figure. Uh, I think that's you know, don't be a jerk. <laughs> but I know Ryan. So far, what are you thinking of, the, of everything? Like story wise, yeah. Do you find that the you know go here, here, and here story, uh, story? Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, setup the story setup in that regard, like going to these three places. Is that something that you? jive with in terms of a story or do you find that that's not a very good use of a a story element yeah i i think i think it can be really compelling i think if it's done right i think this is a kind of story similar to ocarina of time where you don't need a ton of exposition and background you know i have you want to save the world here are the things you need to do it you grab this this and this box checked and i think that can be really satisfying as a as a a way to tell a story or a, a a gameplay mechanic um, or just a story mechanic. I think that that works really well. It's also pretty similar to how a lot of stories are. Like there's these MacGuffins that you have to gather, and by getting these story plot things, we we save the world. And I think that's it's really common. I, I think most stories have something like that. But I think there's no reason not to just lean into that and that be the story. You have to gather these things. And I think that kind of it it, it makes sense. It's really easy to accept that if you just gather these things you'll ha- you'll you'll achieve the goal you want because that is very tied to you know how we as humans view the world and tell stories so i think that's a great i think it's i think it's fine i think it works really well i think it's certainly compelling especially in this situation um, mm-hmm. and it's been it's it, i think it's done really really well very similar to like shadow of the colossus right like your goal is do these things they tell you everything you need to know right away and then it's just getting there and i think that's really can be really compelling yeah i don't i i I struggle with games that kind of hold information over your head for a, a long period of time. So I, I think I appreciate games like this and Shadows and yeah. uh, that, that that just kind of tell you everything, but in a really nice, concise way that's not like 
too like whoa what's what's happening like you know yeah. it's that's nice and I, and I like too that as I'm thinking about it I don't know how big this forest is I mean it could be the whole planet that they're on or whatever not taking like a sci-fi route or anything like that but I love that it's it seems smaller scale it seems like there's probably a whole world beyond this forest but that doesn't matter right now or he's just trying to save the forest and the forest is so important to probably so many creatures living there uh, as we saw with like Nehru Nehru like passed away and I'm sure there's other creatures dying too because the forest is dying and I love that this little this this well, I don't know how little it is, but this forest is just the, is the only center stage here. We don't have to worry about like saving the world. We're just trying mm-hmm. to save the forest. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And I think that's really cool. It's very um. I think Fern Gully is that the right movie? I'm thinking <laughs> of the 90s? Yeah. Very it's very Fern Gully. Like, yeah. Stop yeah, yeah. those bulldozers, man. We don't want bulldozers going mm-hmm. through this forest. Yeah. 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 One of the really cool visual things too that again isn't necessarily represented in this script is that you run into some other creatures like you at one point meet a bear and this bear is massive like it's so scale wise Ori is like this tiny sprite like this tiny creature like the size of like a baby rabbit like moving through this world so like scale is really cool as you're exploring this world to see these like giant trees but this giant tree is giant for Ori but not necessarily like giant in the scale of the world in this really cool and interesting way that adds so much to the visuals that's so cool I love the idea that I love that Ori is this character that doesn't seem like is going to be very powerful but I have a feeling is going to be a, a very formidable yeah person in order to i mean i think to save this forest from whatever kuro is i feel like ori has to become even greater and I, that's what i love about this story like what a simba thomas to matthew perry or not, not perry, <laughs> matthew broadwick moment if you like if you know lion king you know what i'm talking about it's a lion king joke yeah. <laughs> yeah. a reference i guess more than a joke um but I, i'm very curious to see like it's cool that ori kind of starts not as weak but as as like you see the the um you you see not the weakness in ori in the beginning of the game but you see how ori struggles the beginning of the game and and i'm hoping through this journey you see ori become stronger this person that becomes stronger and stronger and uh, not physically so much as just like emotionally is emotionally grown and, and and is confident in themselves and Someone that, that I think Nero could be proud of. Oh, probably Nero already is, you know, but can look at them and be and know that they're gonna be okay and is proud of them and that's that to me that's really cool. I love seeing those moments where, you know, you don't think you'll get someone recognizing like someone passes away and, and you don't get that recognition, like you wish you could see them one more time and I hope we get that in this story where Nero yeah. can be like, Oh man, or oh, you're grown up and you're so great. Mm-hmm. I'm going off on a huge tangent. You can edit that. <laughs> no, that's okay. I think that was really wonderful. And I think one of the things we'll see is that, like you said, Ori growing in power and becoming stronger. But there is something that Ori has and will show that will ultimately become like the most powerful thing Ori can do. And we're going to see that in this next. That's that's really wonderful. And, and I, it's a really great message. So we'll, we'll jump right into that. Oh, cool. Okay. While Ori brought light and hope to the forest, others gave in embraced darkness and fear. As Ori approached the base of the Ginso tree, a creature sat atop a glowing gemstone. The creature is a black mass with two eyes, long, bent arms and legs. Their eyes fill with fear as they see Ori. They grasp the gemstone. As Ori moves closer, the creature grabs the gemstone and begins to run. Aguman from the Forlorn Ruins. We must follow his steps. We must get what he stole. Ori approaches the base of the Ginso tree, but without the gemstone, the water vein, they will be unable to enter. 
or he gives chase to this Guman. He leaps through the grove, down to a chasm, and past dangerous beams of energy. Ori navigates the passage and follows as they climb higher and higher, until Ori confronts the creature atop a bridge. Before Ori can approach, the Guman pulls a lever, sending Ori plummeting down, deeper, deeper, until they find themselves into this creature's home. Dark cave with glowing mushrooms, roots, and waterfalls many moving contraptions, such as moving pillars and spikes. The creature finds Ori at the bottom of his home. Surprised to find them alive, the Guman runs deeper into his hideout. The gemstone, nowhere to be seen. Ori continues to give chase until they enter a chamber where a wooden pillar slams shut behind them. The Guman dances along the ground until a massive monster bursts forth from the earth and flies in Ori's direction. Ori retreats back to the entrance of this cave and watches the creature swim beneath the dirt, burst forth again and again, still firing purple spiked masses in their direction. Ori dives down into the pit with the monster to fight. Watching the creature's movements, Ori is able to use the small amount of power they have to attack with light until the monster lays still. With the creature defeated, Ori continues to search for the Guman. Deep within the hideout, Ori finds another ancestral tree, Leru. Ori absorbs the light of their ancestors, now able to move more agile than ever. Ori makes their way back to the bridge where they first fell. Following the water vein thief, the Guman leaps across the bridge with Ori's new power they easily follow. As Ori enters the next chamber, they can hear the Guman attempting to set up a trap. After a large crash, a series of rocks falls in Ori's direction. They carefully climb up the chasm, dodging boulders and other traps until they reach the top to find the Guman crushed underneath a rock. Without any hesitation, Ori grabs the boulder and pulls it off, freeing the water vein thief, who slinks away, confused and scared. Ori brought kindness and hope to his heart. Ori approaches the ledge cautiously, where the creature, known as Gumo, had left the water vein for Ori. Gumo scampers away into the depths and darkness while Ori picks up the water vein. The ancient blue gemstone swirls mysteriously. Remember, the elements of water rest high atop the Jinso tree. We shall bring it back. We shall bring back the waters. Let us return immediately. Ori heads into the deep thornfelt swamp in order to enter the Jinso tree. The water vein flies into the round inlay on the bottom of the Jinso. It lights up the water symbol etched into the wood, and the wood rotates 180 degrees and pushes back to a side to reveal a now open door. Ori steps into the Jinso tree. It's thorny, dry, and dark. The waters of Nibble once flowed through this very tree. Now it is rotten and dried up inside. We shall restore the flow. The Jinso's tree heart we must find. Ori looks upward. There's a light coming from inside the hollow tree passage. He heads deeper into the tree, particularly to search for its heart. There's a smaller tree in Ori's path. Ori absorb its power and knowledge from another ancestral tree and continues their journey. The path through the tree is dark. The wood is foul and decayed without the elements of water. Large thorny pinkish blobs of blight ooze from the wood and block Ori's path forward. With some new skills, Ori destroys the blight in its path and destroys the blight surrounding a large suspended root ball. With all the blight removed, the root ball comes to life. It flashes. The brightest light continues to gleam, releasing blue watery energy. After rekindling the first light, Ori moves on to explore the rest of the tree. They need to rekindle two more of these lights to restore the element of water. Ori finds the last light they need to rekindle. A huge flash of blue light. Water begins to rain down in huge streams. The water begins to rise and rise throughout the tree. It destroys all of the blight in this one cleansing sweep. Ori races the water, desperate to escape before they are also cleansed, like the blights. The water continues to follow Ori as they jump from the from ledge to ledge. Ori safely makes it out the Jinso tree. Water spills out behind them into the surrounding land. Ori, exhausted from the escape, sits nearby, watching in amazement as the water overflowing and quenching the earth. Suddenly, a large dark profile of a mountain in the distance begins to shake and move. It springs to life and flies into the air. Kuro lands in front of them, her breedy eyes aglow with energy fixed on Ori. She jumps out to grab Ori, but the impact of her landing on top of the tree caused Ori to bounce off the ledge and away from her grasp. 
where he falls to the ground. It's a long fall, as the Ginso tree's trunk is long and lean. Kuro flies in the background, eager to grab Ori from the sky. As Ori falls lifelessly, Kuro flies closer and closer. The screen fades to dark. It was the light that she hated. The light of our kind. But Ori's kindness would once again save my child. Ori sits on the swamp floor. Gumo hops along from dry moss platform to another, gingerly carrying Ori to a safe spot on a bit of moss. He scamps away and climbs out of sight after one last look at Ori. Ori! I thought I had lost you to Kuro's talents. Hate. Ori gets up and inspects the water nearby. It's crystal clear. Sen encourages Ori to push onward. But there is no time to lose. We must make haste. Vent of wind rests deep within the forlorn ruins. Inside the misty wood, there is a key that will open their gates. So Eric, we just had our first run-in with Kuro, which is this massive winged owl-type creature who was oh. about to murder Ori um, when she was saved. What are your What are your thoughts on this kind of... The meeting of Gumo and then the the ending of that little sec- section. It was cool. I like that that Ori's kindness towards Gumo has changed Gumo to, for the better. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that a lot. I think that's a very um, like Pixar-y, Disney kind of mentality. I mean, but it's kind of true. It's real life true. I I, I, I myself have like uh, when I was younger was the victim of like bullying and like and I was one who was really bad at being mean back to people so i just was kindness i just showed kindness and a lot of times these bullies would become my friends and then you know there's a whole i've gone on this topic many times with clients in the past uh with therapy and, and the dynamic of bullying and all that stuff um but typically at the end of the day bullies just really don't like themselves and you know and are and are trying to make other people feel bad about themselves to feel better uh but when as you know you show kindness to someone in that state you know typically not typically but hopefully they can find some worth in that and become friends. And I think that's what we see here with Ori. I think Ori is someone who just does good for good sake uh, because they know it's the right thing to do. And I think it's really cool. I like characters like that. You know, that, that kind of just, they know what's right and they know what's wrong and they want to do the right thing. Um, you know, Ori could have left Gumo to their fate and let, mm-hmm. a, let them die under that boulder, but uh, Ori didn't. And I think it's really cool. I, I find that commendable. And as for Kuro, I mean, owls are terrifying already. Owls are cool. <laughs> Don't be wrong. If you like an owl, I respect it. I think it's a good decision. But sometimes, man, those like white ones, they're like, have you ever seen like the movies, the alien movies that like people are convinced that those those owls, like the white owls are like yeah, aliens? Yeah, I have yeah, seen that. Uh, yeah, what is yeah. it? Like fifth, fifth set. It's like, yeah, yeah. yeah I know yes, exactly yes. what you're talking about. It takes place in Alaska. It's like one of the few horror movies mm-hmm. I saw. And I, like, was terrified because it was, like, as a documentary, it was shot as a documentary. Oh, man. Yeah. Very spooky. Very spooky movie. Yes. White owls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. White owls are absolutely terrifying. So the fact that this one, I don't, know, this, I don't think this one's a white owl, right? This is just like a purplish. Owl. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it certainly is like a... And as a boss, I think that this is so cool. As I would never... With owls, I always picture owls as, like, a kindly creature, Usually it's like the, the like you mentioned a giant bear or kind of like you know this creature of the of the earth you know that's like bound to the ground is typically the ones I always like picture as the bad guys in games like this like where the forests are involved in forest creatures so like an owl being the bad guy I think it's such a cool idea I don't think I can't think of anything where that's been the case before um, when I think of like a friendly owl I think of like the one from like Winnie the Pooh I think whose name is actually <laughs> yeah. Owl <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so yeah, I don't yeah. know the, their name but I think it's Owl. Um, no, I love. I just looking at this picture of Kuro, terrifying. Because again, owls are terrifying. They're cool. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. If you're an owl fan, I support you. Again, I'm not going to say you're wrong. 
but <laughs> all mythologists. <laughs> but I mean, they're still creepy as heck. Let's be honest here. You know, yeah. I mean, you can, you can at me if you want to. I just, <laughs> it's my perspective, and mm -hmm. I and I respect yours. But it doesn't mean we have to agree. <laughs> That's the beauty of perspectives. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, Ugh. I don't know how. I don't. I mean, I'm very curious what happens here. I'm hoping that we see something. Uh, in terms of how Ori handled Gumo, I, I'm hoping that's what we see with Kuro too. But sometimes you can't reason with people, so it's very. I'm very curious what happens with that. Yeah, well, let's let's keep going and find out. Ori and Sen head to the misty woods. It's full of tall old trees covered in moss and thorns. Ori discovers another ancestral tree, which teaches them how to dive into the ground. Ori goes deeper and deeper into the world. The deeper they go, the darker and foggier it becomes. A dampness begins to swirl around them as mushrooms appear as platforms, as well as carns for Ori to follow. In a swoop of darkness, Kuro lands, searching for Ori. They hide behind a piece of tree wood, away from Kuro's sight. Kuro flies off, still hunting Ori. Ori manages to avoid Kuro for a while until they spot Kuro in the distance, patrolling the air with a murder of crows. As long as Kuro is out there, the path to the misty wood will be blocked. But look up there. We might be able to distract her if we loosen that rock. Sen indicates the rocky ledge in the distance. There are clearly cracks in the foundation where light is seeping through. With some well-timed dashes, Ori makes their way over to the precarious edge. They pound the ground and the rocks come loose, landing on Kuro's head. It disorients her, and she flies to a nearby wall of stone, flies off, phased but not injured. Meanwhile, Ori lands on solid ground. Nearby, one of Kuro's feathers lands near Ori, and they rush to gather it. The feather is deep violet and is the length of Ori's body large enough that Ori could use it to glide and ride the winds. The haze of the misty woods deceived the minds of all. Those lost within were never found. Ori continues forward into the dark part of the woods. There's barely any light as Ori walks through the deep fog. Sen's light illuminates the way forward. Strange creatures hide in the darkness, creatures that don't need light to survive. Ori stumbles upon the shrouded lantern. It's a mysterious figure atop a stone platform on the wood floor. The haze bellows out of its stem, contributing to Ori's difficulty moving through the woods. We find a way to light it. The path might be clear once again. Ori continues onward, getting more and more disoriented and lost until they spot a glow blue orb. It's Atsu's torch. It was lost in this place. Ori reaches the torch and begins to carry it back to the shrouded lantern. Along the way, Ori finds another tree. This one, inhabited by Tatsu, who used to climb high above the mountains. Her ability and wisdom allows, allows Ori to grab onto and climb walls. There's a loud boom in the background. Ori ignores it. Ori finally arrives at the shrouded lantern with Atsu's torch. The lantern begins to glow and rise out from the floor. The lantern, while lifting itself up, also lifts the haze of the forest floor. From its mouth spits a golden item which drifts to the floor in front of Ori. It's a Guman seal. It's the Guman seal Ori's been looking for. Ori takes the key to the forlorn ruins. Once lush and green, now covered in ice, those who didn't escape paid with their lives. Ori traveled onward. The scenery changing from a dark, mysterious forest to an icy, windy scene. Icicles hanging from cliffs as Ori fight to walk against a strong wind. There's a stone doorway in their path. It glows with the seal, pushed into the center. Surrounding veins of yellow aglow as the door opens, Ori heads into the Forlorn Ruins. The Forlorn Ruins. Here's where the Guman live. They built miraculous structures and infused them with light of the spirit tree, which keeps them safe. There's a pile of Guman nearby, lifeless. Oh no! These Guman were frozen, unable to escape! When the element of the winds was lost, its sight, these ruins must have turned into their grave. 
Ori jumps over a broken stone monument. A burst of light irradiates from the center. The Guman were crafty inventors. They had foreseen the bright future that never came. Look at this light vessel. They were able to store the light of the spirit tree within. The light vessel zooms around before heading in front of Ori, where he picks up the vessel, keeps them safe while walking over strange Guman structures. Meanwhile, Gumo finds the entrance of the ruins and ventures inside. He's shocked by the scene before him. He sadly touches the frozen bodies of his people, but continues onward and follows Ori. Ori finds a mysterious shrine. They offer the light vessel to the shrine, and the shrine suddenly comes to life. It pulls the nearby rocks together to form a bridge. Sen explains that the shrine powered all of the Gumon creations. I wonder if Gumo knows their fate. I hope he can forgive us, that we live and that they are gone. Ori stands on a floating platform, the massive frozen chamber. Curved stones orbit the ice-covered door. Spikes and icicles line the walls. The element of wind lies before us, stored in the heart of this place. These ruins are all that's left of the Gumon, reminding us of their fate. Losing the ones he loved, Gumo is the last of his kind. Ori, we should bring back the light. For Nibble and for the memory of the Guman, let us restore the element of the winds. Guman climbs out from the bottom of his chamber, listening to Sun's vow to save Nibble in memory of the Guman. Ori opens the way to the element of the wind. A gust of wind spews forth, and Ori takes out the curl feather and is lifted into the air. They dodge bursts of cold, flying icicles as the cavern around them erupts. Ori is lifted higher and higher until they make their way to the massive nest, where they find a massive egg, back in the forlorn ruins. Moved by their words, he decided to act. Gumo pulls the light vessel from its place. As the area crumbles around him, he narrowly escapes, back in the nest. As Ori touches the egg, they are shown a vision. Kuro sits atop her nest. Three small chicks chirp for food as Kuro drops large grubs into their mouth. She takes off into search of more food, leaving the chicks alone in the nest. The chicks watch in the distance. A massive tree erupts with light. The light ceremony, while searching for Ori, reaches the far reaches of Nibble places which never receive this light. As the light from the forest reaches further and further, it reaches Kuro's nest. These chicks, creatures of darkness like Kuro, were overtaken by the light. Kuro, hearing her chick's screech, rushes back to the nest to find her eggs lay still. The only thing remaining was a single egg. Kuro, filled with rage, flies towards the tree. Ori had learned how they perished through our light. All along, she was simply protecting her last child. So Eric, I wanted to stop there, because now we've learned more about Kuro, and why yeah. she's doing the things she's doing. Oh no. The best villains are the ones that see themselves as the hero. Yeah. That is so true. That's so true. It breaks my heart. I, I, I'm glad that Kuro isn't just this like bad guy for the sake of being a bad guy. It's someone that's lost something significant to them. Mm-hmm. Lives have been lost. And it's, it's so interesting how you know, when you hear in movies and games and, and just stories in general about, about the, the light, you know, the light is always this symbol of hope and it's the symbol of life. But I like that in this story, darkness is also a form of life. And, I mean, and nothing really besides Kuro's actions, I feel like, have really... I mean, would you say that darkness has caused all this problem? I would wars? say the cause is the lack of... of the in some way the lack of light there's there's no balance to the world without without this light things were allowed to just fade the light kind of powered in a lot of the world but i think there's something too that there's value to the creatures that exist in that darkness they're not just these yeah. mindless things the darkness is not this evil entity per se that it, it has its own purpose too and that the light kind of you know the light isn't this 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 only pure thing in the story it also causes damage to things it also harms things it's not just this this um, 
yeah, the solely uh, pure thing in this in this world. It, you know, darkness is is also affected, and, and it's also taken this light has taken the lives of of these these babies, and and I totally sympathize with Kuro now. Like, yeah. it's crazy how interesting that is that this this creature, this owl, still creepy, no no, offense, <laughs> Kuro, uh, is. Uh, is filled with rage and, and anger and and I feel like the idea of Ori being with this egg would only make si- the situation worse if Kuro found out um, but I sympathize with Kuro it's super interesting what yeah. do you think right? in terms of Kuro do you, do you yeah agree? I think you... I, I totally agree it, it does such a good job of showing you why Kuro Kuro isn't just this monster Kuro is doing this out of this trauma and this rage and doesn't want this ever to happen again she has one egg left and if this light were to do this thing again, which it's also really interesting that like the reason the light was doing this was to look for Ori. It doesn't always stretch out this far. It did that because it was looking for Ori. So not only is is she going to be upset, I don't know if she's making that conception, but Ori is the reason her children died. Because Ori hid away or was hid away by Naru. This Naru was trying to care for Ori. So it's this this really complex series of situations that they weren't necessarily trying to hurt each other. But they did, because Kuro, then by taking that, killed Naru. So it's this really complex series of not understanding what what the effects of what your rage can do or your love can do, right? There's this, this the, Kuro loves their children so much, he doesn't want this to happen again. So he's going to, she's going to destroy this tree, kill all of these light creatures, because she's just, which maybe isn't the right thing to do, but you can sympathize. You can understand the loss of your children and, and what that can lead to. Right, right. And how many times in games in game stories have we seen the power of love in terms of the positives it can do and the power of love in terms of the negatives? That, you know, when, when love can hurt in so many different ways. And this is one of those examples where love has, has hurt Kuro because something that, that she loved is now gone. And the significance of that. And, oh, yeah, I love that they gave her this purpose. That this is the, I mean, I don't want, you know, Kuro's babies to die. That sucks. But like, I, I'm glad that we can sympathize with this quote-unquote bad guy and who isn't maybe, maybe isn't necessarily a bad guy, you know? It's just, you know, it's just really upset because the things that she loves have now been taken against her will. And yeah, and you make a great point, Ryan, how, how Nehru was doing the right thing, right? We were talking about that, how Nehru showed unconditional love to Ori and did this thing that she didn't have to do. And how our our choices and how even like Nara's choices has affected Kuro in this weird, crazy way. You just never know when your actions, good or bad, and how they're going to affect other people. It's, it, it's, you know, it's scary in a sense. It's scary like when we think about ourselves and the choices that we make. And, and you know, you know by, by doing something, we could be hurting somebody else in these crazy weird ways we never could think of. Uh, and what does that mean? Does that mean that, you're, that you've done something bad you know, for the sake of something good? It, it's, it's very complex. It's very interesting. I, I, this is such a cool, deep story. I, I, I love it. As Ori finishes her vision, they hear the massive wings of Kuro flapping as their large form lands on the entrance of the nest. Eyes full of rage, she chases Ori down the frozen waste below. Ori hides behind a nearby stone as Kuro searches for the being of light. Ori carefully moves and attempts to remain unseen as they navigate the frozen wood. As Ori moves into a cave, Kuro shoots toward Ori, slamming into the cave entrance, causing it to collapse and trap Uro inside. We barely escaped her clutches this time. It is clear now why she hunts us. Kuro is just protecting her child. But remember, Ori, the element of warmth is the last to ignite. The sunstone we see, high atop the sorrow pass. We must ride the winds, for they will show us the way to the path. Ori uses Kuro's feather to ride the nearby air drifts and make her way towards Sorrow Pass. Make their way towards Sorrow Pass. 
Sorrow Pass is a yellow desert covered with stone spikes and sand. If not for the newly reinstated power of the wind, it would be impossible to navigate. Using crow's feather, Ori flies above the spikes and makes their way to the sunstone. While exploring, they find another ancestral tree, this one belonging to Nier, which allowed Ori to leap high into the air and better control their jump. This made Soros Pass even easier to navigate as they search for the sunstone. Ori rides the streams of warm air higher and higher until they arrive at the clouds above the canyon. A massive volcano in the distance slowly erupts with magma. Ori approaches the altar of gleaming yellow stones, whose bright light radiates the surrounding area. No wonder Kuro is avoiding this place. The sunstone still radiates light that she fears. Ori approaches and the altar comes to life. The crystal opens and out comes the sunstone, the key to accessing the entrance of Mount Horu. Back in Naru and Ori's home, Gumo enters with a light vessel. He approaches Naru's still body and holds the vessel in his hand. Gumo closes his eyes and the power from the light vessel fills the room before it erupts and vanishes into light. Gumo steps back as Naru sits up and looks around the room. Their journey inspired even he who had doubt. Gumo had found a place to belong. Gumo reaches out and takes Naru's hand. He shows Naru the tree and points to Mount Haru. The two head off, back at the Sunstone Altar. With the Sunstone, we can now pass through Mount Haru's gates. Do you feel that shaking, the rumbling of the earth? Mount Haru is close to spewing fire. There's no time to lose. Ori and Sen make their way back towards Mount Haru. The forest is aflame with magma covering the forest floor. Ori makes their way towards the bottom of Mount Haru and towards the entrance of the Element of Warmth. Darkness brought them to this forsaken place at the gates of Mount Haru. A tough decision was made. Ori puts the sunstone into the gates, and the source of warmth opened. Nimble source of warmth, all its glory burned. Ori, if we enter this place, we may never return. Ori, without hesitation, enters the mountain. Eric. Oh. Gumo. <laughs> yeah. I love you, Gumo. <laughs> so cool. So cool. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love Gumo. Gumo is cool. I like. See, that's that's, that's the power of, of love and kindness, which sounds so lame to say out loud, but it is. It's true. Like it's so yeah. true. Like it's cool. Gumo is is cool. Gumo could have saved any of his kind. Gumo's a mm-hmm. uh, yeah yeah yeah. Uh, Gumo is of one of those kind. people. Yeah yeah, and and he didn't. He chose to save Naru, and, and it sounds like that was just a one one time thing. Yeah, he can't gone. do that again. No, Naru's that back, that was so. the thing that powered. All of the machinery in his home, yeah. Yeah, and so the fact that he brought back Naru is just, it, it, he didn't, it's not that he didn't need his people back, I think he would have ha- been happy if his people could come back to life, but I think he felt like he belonged in this little family that, you know, with Ori and, and Sen, hopefully, if Sen doesn't betray anyone that they feel like they're going to, please don't, Sen, please. I, I know. I literally. I, I swear, Star Girls, if this is the, if that's the case, I, I have no idea. But I'm just literally <laughs> terrified this is going to happen based on that one line we had earlier. Please be wrong. I'm terrified this is true. Um, but I love that Naru's back. I I, I often have. Uh, so I I found like recently I, I read like stories of these games or whatever where a character dies in the beginning and then they come back later on in the story and there are some fans of things like that who find that when that happens it diminishes the the death the the beginning death or the I'm sorry the death earlier in that story it diminishes its worth and I just don't see it that way I have a really hard time finding that that to be the case like that death is what inspired this whole journey for Ori and the fact that Naru's come back I don't think it diminishes anything I think there's like a beauty in that I think that it's really cool that that could happen 
and that, that now, like, and now, what's going to happen? Like, I didn't see this. I didn't see this coming. Quite honestly, I didn't see Naru coming back to life. So, what? How is that going to change things? Is I mean, I would, it would suck if Naru died again. Like, <laughs> I don't want to deal with this death again. That sounds awful. Um, but I mean, if it happens, that's a huge impact. You know, this person's brought back. And you think it's safe? They die again. Like. You know, I, it's, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm just kind of spewing these out. The story is very <laughs> gripping. It's, it's much more gripping than I anticipated. Yeah. But uh, Ryan, what do you think? Of Gumo, of, of, of Naru's, uh, you know, rebirth, do you agree mm -hmm. with what I was saying about yeah. like, coming back to life? Or, or what do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, I certainly, I guess I could I could see that as an argument of it. Be, but uh, like you, I, I don't think that's necessarily true. Especially not in this case where there's something that's given up. Gumo is giving up the ability to bring somebody back, mm -hmm. to bring this one person back. Who's really important. I also think there's this really interesting arc that they set up for Gumo, where the first time we meet them, he's stealing the thing we need away from us. He's scared, he's lost all of his people, he don't know where they are, and he's taking this thing and taking it back to his lair because it's shiny and important. And through the fact that we save Gumo, not only does he save us, but he brings back the person who kind of we had we had the biggest connection to in this world so that one act of sparing this creature that was only doing harm to us only trying to hurt us by sparing that creature Ori has gained so much back been able to survive been able to return this person they love and then gain this friend in gumo and i think that's such a beautiful arc of gumo's character where at first he was this antagonist and now he's such a core protagonist to this experience to is such a really cool arc and it's done a really great way um, and I think, yeah, Naro being back is, is only a net positive for, for the experience. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just so cool. I like that. I think it's, yeah. it's, it's very classic in terms mm -hmm. of storytelling, but I like that they've taken a different approach to it. They've added something new to it. Like, Bambi's mom did not come back. Spoilers <laughs> for Bambi. <laughs> Bambi's mom does not come back. You know, yeah. and, and like, uh, you know, spoilers, you know, Mufasa doesn't come back. Mm -hmm. You know, you yeah. may say, yes, he's a cloud person <laughs> but i still think that's not him going back yeah. uh, i just think that's so interesting that now that there's this element that naru is back what is that going to do to the story you know yeah. is naru got to sacrifice more with this newfound life and yeah what does that mean and and i think that it's it's i feel like obviously the story is it's it's coming to a head and, and mm -hmm. what's going to happen is is mother versus mother coming and what does that look like you know yeah. like it's a very uh, i you know I, I'm, I'm hoping that everybody wins in the end of this whole thing. Even Kuro. I, think, I feel like I, as, as, as many bad things as Kuro has done in the story, I think that there is this... Uh, I think that they can still redeem themselves. I'm hopeful for that. So. All right, well, let's, let's see what happens next then in, the, in the, getting that last element. I'm not crying. You're crying. <laughs> <laughs> well, just hold on. Inside Mount Haru, lava covers the ground as platforms climb the height of the volcano. The element of warmth is close, but the mountain, I've never seen it this way. We've come so far, so much has been lost. You can't give up now, we must enter the fray. The earth rumbles and shakes around Ori as the temple inside the mountain has all but collapsed. The heat from the lava fills the air. Ori moves from platform to platform, slowly climbing. They face dangerous fire beasts, lava, vents, and pools of dangerous fire. Ori moves to the mountain, working to stop the lava flows and open their way to the element of warmth. After blocking off a lava flow, Ori is able to make it deeper into the volcano. As they slam down a wall holding back the flow of lava, a tidal wave shoots forward towards them. But using all of their skills they have gathered, they will escape the flow and drain the magma. As they fought for their lives amidst the fire of Horu. Outside the burning forest, Gumo and Naru try to make their way to Ori. They carefully climb as balls of burning earth land separating the two. 
Gumo now separated from Naru as she continues to make her way towards Ori. Naru wished solely to see her child again. Ori continues to work to stop the flow of lava inside Haru. When finished, the final gateway to the element of warmth is open. Black smoke fills the chamber as the massive orb of fire and heat sits before Ori and Sen. The element of warmth is within our grasp. With the elements restored, we can undo the effects of her wrath. Ori and Sen restore the element to its more balanced state as the calm falls upon the mountain. But it is short-lived as a familiar screech fills the air as Kuro lands upon the orb. Kuro shrieks as she chases Ori through the lava-filled mountain. Her pain and rage drive her to destroy Ori and the beings of light. She smashes through the burning trees, trying to grasp and destroy Ori. Ori goes higher and higher, hoping to escape Kuro's wrath, when the mountain explodes, sending Ori falling. She left them to burn, though she vanquished my life. Ori lays unconscious, while the fire burns around them. Sen begs Ori to wake up. Ori, please, get up. Sen travels to the ledge nearby. Not too far away, the spirit tree glows with a blue light. The spirit tree? So close. He's our only hope left. Ori wakes up, alone in the burning forest. He catches up to Sen and jumps and begins to fly towards the spirit tree. Kuro, out of nowhere, wrathfully grabs Ori mid-flight and slams them back to the ground. Ori lays, unconscious again. Kuro stands menacingly over Ori as Naru emerges from the burning forest. Naru approaches Ori on the ground as Kuro looks on with malice. Naru ignores Kuro and rushes to pick up Ori. Naru cradles Ori, holding her close as Kuro looks on. Kuro watches Naru hold Ori. Her rage starts to fade as she thinks of her chicks, perished in her nest. The anger subsides and only sadness remains. Kuro watches a mother holding her unconscious child. She looks back to her nest, a single egg still sitting in that nest, now the forest, engulfed with flame, encroaches on the last of her children. Kuro knows there's not enough time to make it back to the nest to save her egg. Kuro picks up Sen and flies towards the spirit tree, placing it back in the tree as it erupts with light. The light emanates out of the tree, destroying Kuro, but extinguishing the flames of the forest. The fire is gone. The smoke of the forest starts to clear. Flowers grow, and it begins to rain. The chaos and destruction fades, leaving peace and calm to the forest. The spirit tree restored, Naru and Gumo watch as the tree returns to life to the forest. Naru returns to her home. The rock that once held the carving of Ori and Naru is now filled with the images of Gumo and Kuro. Large egg sits in a small nest in the home. The egg starts to crack and shake. The end. That's it. Wow. Oh, yeah. oh that was so good. That was so good. That was so good. I, ah, oh, that is so good. I think this, I mean... Many stories have already covered this topic. Is there a fact please, 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 please. Cool? Sorry. Okay. Many stories have already covered this kind of topic before, but I think it just shows like how the idea of revenge is so flawed. But it's so... It just seems... When someone is victimized, like revenge just seems like such a great idea, right? That's how you get even. Like It's not fair that this, that this person or this thing took something from me in such a harsh way. Like how, you know, I need some kind of... Uh, revenge or some kind of repentance to, to, to justify this and how we see this in Kuro and Kuro recognizes this I think by watching Naru hold yeah. Ori and then looking around seeing what Kuro has done to this forest that, that, I mean not, not Kuro has necessarily has done but because of what Kuro has done it has led to this destruction of the forest realizing that their, that their last egg is in danger and, and decides to do what I think any mother would and saves their child mm-hmm. Um, I just think there's so much beauty in that, and and that's and that's the the redemption that Kuro has to make, yeah. you know. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And then 
and now this egg is going to be born into this family that's going to, I think, love yeah. it. You know, it does, you know, and now and I love that Gumo's still here. It's <laughs> Gumo's still in this family. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, uh, so good. It's so good. I think that uh, what a beautiful, 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 beautiful yeah, story. Yeah, it's not beautiful. It's yeah. Oh, I am. Crying, <laughs> You're, I'm crying. You're crying. We're all yeah. crying. Right, right. What do you think of this? Do you, do you? How do you? What do you think of the idea of revenge? Is it? Is it? Is it justifiable? Yeah. Do you, I don't know. Do you agree? I don't yeah. Know. I, I mean, I don't. I again, I, I haven't been in this situation, so I, I, I can't first say how I'd feel. But I think like Kuro recognized that she would gain nothing from destroying Naru and Ori anymore. She sees this relationship that she had and lost, and she's sad about that. But I don't think. I think she recognizes. Which shows this really incredible growth in Kuru and this complexity to her character um, that she recognizes that as she watches, you know, Naru cradle Ori, who, you know, was destroyed at Kuro's hands, like, held and taken care of. And in that moment, recognized that it wasn't worth it. And instead, I need to, what can I do to step, put an end to this or to fix this or to make it right? Or even just, maybe I need to instead just focus on how I can take care of that last child that going any further doesn't mean anything. I think Kuro makes the choice that instead of getting back at Ori and Naru, I'm going to do what I can to protect what I have left and value that. And unfortunately, Kuro needs to... to the only way is Kuro makes the sacrifice. You can see at the end of the game that Ori and Naru and Gumo recognize the sacrifice. She is She's on the stone. She's part of their family now too, right? She's, she's because mm-hmm. of that choice that she made, and they're going to honor her memory with this egg. And that's that's what the Willow of the Wisp is about. What comes next. But I think, yeah, I think there's these really beautiful themes in this game of parents and children and what parents will do for their children. And, and sometimes that leads to these really bad outcomes without meaning to. And sometimes it leads to bad outcome because you meant to. But it's this really complex dichotomy of those things that it just makes for a really beautiful game. Yeah, yeah. I, like, I love that the story shows that there's no black and white. Mm-hmm. It's very gray. Yeah. You know, and, and and through the use of these animals, you know, these these creatures that we we can't really identify with, but through these like uh, human emotions we've kind of put into them. I, actually, I shouldn't even say that. I think animals do have emotions. Yeah. I think with these these emotions that we can identify with them and relate with them. There's so much beauty and and uh, self reflection that can be had through mm-hmm. this. I love that Kuro isn't this bad guy. Kuro is just another creature in this forest doing what they think that they need to do. Um, I love that they also kind of show that family is what mm-hmm. you make it you know it isn't what you just kind of have you know a family it grows and changes and that's a very beautiful thing that we see like gumo has a has a family mm-hmm. again like he's not alone anymore um and i and i i think the only thing i wish i had more of and i'm hoping maybe the sequel will talk about this you don't have to say yes or no I'm, I, I'm willing to to wait for the answer i hope they they talk more about the darkness aspect of this whole mm-hmm. thing and I, I i would like the the darkness to have its uh value shown in the next game if possible because it seems like again the light kind of took front and center and, and and how valuable it was and you know but i but i want i want there to be this lesson of there needs to be balance and in, in this thing for everyone to be happy because i think again there's nothing I, from what i've seen in this game the darkness is not necessarily a bad mm-hmm. thing and i would like that to be seen more so i'm hoping that's fingers crossed with the because this baby's a creature of darkness yeah. and or is a creature of light how is that going to work mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so what is what does that mean? What will that look like for this for this creature of darkness? And, and what is go check get the definitive edition? Check it out. It's on Game Pass. It's a really wonderful game. It's a fun game as well. But yeah, 
Yeah. It's on Switch too. Yes, think, yes it is. Right? Yep, they're both so, on Switch. Yeah. Also... Which platformers are great yeah, on Switch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I would love I mean I'm I'm between both. I think I want to play on my T V so I get for Switch. Um so I'm not I'm not <laughs> yet. Yeah. So. <laughs> we hope that you enjoyed this story of Ori in the Blind Forest and it is never too late to send us your thoughts, feelings and perspectives to Tales from the Cartridge at gmail.com. All of the E's are threes. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram. DM us or comment on our post. Let us know what you think, and maybe you'll get a sticker. <laughs> you will. You if will you if want you want it. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we don't really know. Uh, this month has been yeah, crazy, so we haven't really talked super far into what we're doing next. We have a good idea, but we'll try to post mm-hmm. it on on our social media so you yeah. have time we'll try to get better about that I am actually I'm, I'm, I'm going to announce it here now so that I, I, I kind of have to follow through on it um, I have uh, been doing some research on how to like plan posting mm. for social yeah, media yeah. Um, because on Instagram you can't do that and on Twitter you can't do that but there are other apps that will allow you to do so so I think for Tales that's something that we're going to have to try to, to do more and, and I, I think it'll be beneficial so I'm saying it I'm putting it out into the world unless I Last minute tell Ryan to edit this out. <laughs> but this would be a good way to, to stay on track yeah. and, to, and to hopefully do that. So that way you're better, you story goes are better on, uh, on in the know of what's happening at, at Tales. So, um, Ryan, any, any closing thoughts on, on this episode? I mean, what a good Yeah, it was a great one. It was, it was such a, it's such a great story. I love, I love and it's, this is one of the reasons why when we talked about games of the year, like these were these were in there because they're such beautiful mm-hmm. games. But yeah, so I hope hope you're all you all enjoyed. Uh, hopefully, we didn't make anybody feel too sad. Although emotions are okay, and you should feel them and enjoy them, and they're mm-hmm. good for all all things. Um, if you did feel sad, like that's the, uh, you're supposed to. That's that's the emotion they're going for, and allow yourself to feel it. But yeah, it's great. It's a good time. Yeah. I hope everybody enjoyed it. Embrace your emotions. Just don't you know try to like murder all True. creatures of light. That's not yeah. Right. That's Just please don't right do that. right. There's yeah. there's yeah. value in the creatures of light as well. Yeah. Yeah, if I see you breaking flashlights and lampshades, and we have, or, or, I mean, and lamps, and we have a problem yeah. here, we need to talk yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I was gonna say like unless a lampshade attacks your children, but like even then, maybe we shouldn't break lamps. Well, okay. That is it. I mean, I mean, well, I don't know, Ryan. That might be a good chance, you know. I mean, granted, that lampshade could have lost his children. It's, it's a, a whole, whole it's, you know, a, it's, it's a, a complex whole of well of things. And, yeah, yeah. I think we can all agree. We need to talk about our feelings, and owls are kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. We all can agree all on this, I think. take that away from this, yeah. Lessons of the day. <laughs> yeah. Owls are cool. Still kind of creepy. Yeah. A lot of things are cool, but also Yeah, they can creepy. be both. They can be both. Yeah. Things. Yeah, they can be both. No yeah. shame in that. Yeah, no yeah, shame yeah. in that. Some of the best things are creepy. <laughs> are, are, is there any story going still here? <laughs> no, they're all gone. They're all gone now. <laughs> no one... No one. All right, well, Ryan, I hope you had a good yeah, episode. I think we did yeah. a good... I, I enjoyed it. Okay. <laughs> And as always, storygoers, we will see you in the next episode. Bye! Bye. Still scary, y'all. Ooh, ooh, ooh.